From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. It had the pomp, it had the circumstance. Did it have any point? The Queen's speech announced the government's plans for a government that has no majority. Boris Johnson can't control Parliament, but neither can Jeremy Corbyn. Associate editor Julian Glover and Evening Standard columnist Aisha Hazarika try to figure out what happens next. We've got Brexit going on. So we've got the leaders, we've got the Queen's speech today, which, as Julian said, is, you know, should normally be quite an interesting thing, but it's meaningless. It's kind of burning up very valuable parliamentary time. Also. In the catastrophic mess caused by Turkey's invasion of Syria, three orphan children, thought to be from London, have been found in an IS detention camp. Should they come home? And... The value in the brand is clearly there. Britain loves Pizza Express, so you could see the, the outpouring there. Uh, but it's just how you use that brand now. Hashtag Save Pizza Express was trending recently. Is there now just a little bit of hope for the chain? Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. We'll have extracts, but you can read the whole thing in the paper or go to standard.co.uk slash comment and you'll find it there. In a moment, Julian Glover and Aisha Hazarika on The Queen's Speech. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. My government's priority has always been to secure the United Kingdom's departure from the European Union on the 31st of October. We've heard it from the Prime Minister and now the Queen herself. Brexit, October 31st. She didn't say do or die, she's the Queen. But then, could she have anyway? There's been talk of a potential breakthrough in a deal, but Parliament's sitting on Saturday for the first time since the Falklands War, and it still doesn't seem to want it. In fact, without a majority, can the government get any of today's speech through? Here's the standards take. Her Majesty's horses have been made to trot from Buckingham Palace to Westminster in vain. Today's Queen's speech doesn't matter, nor does next month's budget. Why? Because Parliament is in control, not ministers. It's only a few days since everyone claimed Dominic Cummings was in control at number 10, amid bullish boasts that 
The negotiations will probably end this week, and we would walk away. They didn't, of course. So what will Parliament do next? Thanks to the Benn Act blocking no deal, the government has to try to negotiate a deal. If the Prime Minister doesn't come back with one that Parliament can agree to, Brexit will be delayed. Well, I'm now joined by our associate editor, Julian Glover, and our Londoner editor and columnist, Aisha Hazarika. Julian, let's start with you, the leader today, celebrating, of course, the Queen's speech, all the pomp and circumstance around it all. But uh, is any of this going to happen? Well, the only thing I find more interesting in life than, than debating what happens next in Brexit is horses. So it was a great delight to see the horses on TV this morning, marching through the rain in Westminster. But frankly, that's the most interesting thing about today, because... There's a Queen's speech, there's things in it. Some of them are good things, some of them are less good things. We could all debate the detail, but the reality is that it's meaningless in this Parliament. There isn't a majority for the government in the Commons. It doesn't win votes in the Commons. Until we get beyond that, things like the Queen's speech are pretty irrelevant. And the power sits with Parliament. The power sits with Parliament on Brexit. It can decide to vote for a deal or not. And it sits with Parliament on whether it might push for another election Will the government be allowed to have one? And maybe, maybe it'll soon be deciding whether we have a referendum. There's definitely a growing shift amongst MPs saying something's got to happen. Perhaps it'll be a referendum, at least amongst a few Tories beginning to accept that. Labour, I'm still a bit unclear where they are. Aisha, is anybody clear where Labour is right now? <laughs> I don't, that's a very good question. It's like an exercise, like, does God exist? You know, it's sort of a quite an existential question. The interesting thing is, Julian's correct, um, the Prime Minister doesn't have control of Parliament. But also, we're in such unusual circumstances, nor does the leader of the opposition. So in normal circumstances, if a Prime Minister could not get his or her a legislative programme through, that would count as a vote of no confidence in the government. And traditionally, um, a vote of no confidence um, would be triggered. And actually, an election would probably come off the back of that. But because we have something called the Fixed Term Parliament Act... In order to get a general election, you need two-thirds of MPs to vote for that. Normally, a leader of the opposition who thought he had a shot at the title would be absolutely champion at the bit for an early election. But we're in this really weird situation where the leader of the opposition does not want that early election right now because we've got... Brexit going on. So we've got the leaders, we've got the Queen's speech today, which, as Julian said, is you know should normally be quite an interesting thing, but it's meaningless. It's kind of burning up very valuable parliamentary time. We also have that colliding with probably the most five, five of the most important days in, in British political history, because this really is the crunch point in terms of what's going to be the next chapter of the Brexit debate. Aisha, do you think Labour doesn't want to election, partly because it would probably lose looking at the polls. Do you think Labour MPs now want a referendum, even if Jeremy Corbyn doesn't? Because it's another one of those things he says he doesn't want. But you could just about see a Commons majority getting together to saying, if nothing else, it'll have to be a referendum. Well, that's a really interesting proposition. And I think more and more Labour MPs are now moving towards that thinking. So Tom Watson, um, you know, caused the wrath of the Labour leadership because he actually promulgated this idea before conference. And then if you remember, they tried to 
cancel Tom Watson at Labour Party conference. Quite a few MPs are saying, look, actually, let's not run headlong into a general election because it will be a Brexit general election. Labour's all over the place on its Labour, on its Brexit position. Labour could get absolutely thumped. Everybody could get thumped. It's a yeah. It, that might be the thing that makes them have a referendum rather than an election is they're not the ones up to being voted on. Yeah. God knows what would happen in a referendum campaign if it was taking place against the will of both the leader of the opposition and the <laughs> prime minister. It, I, I don't think it will bring resolution. It may just lead us to more more chaos. But yeah, it's definitely a it is an extraordinary moment. idea. The thing that I think the one thing is pre- that is preventing Jeremy Corbyn from going, which would actually be quite savvy to have a a second referendum then a general election, is the fact that Tony Blair put forward that idea. But um, e- interestingly, even senior shadow cabinet people have said to me privately they would much prefer that sequencing of events but as Julian rightly points out the leader himself and his closest allies although that group is 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 slimming down faster than Tom Watson right now they still want a general election as soon as possible next got three extremely traumatised children who need to be brought to safety. Three orphan children, thought to be from London, have been found in a detention camp for Islamic State families. Should we bring them home? And how? The discovery of three orphan children, thought to be from London, on the Syrian border with Turkey in a detention camp for Islamic State families poses a dilemma. Should we bring them home? Can we bring them home? From the Evening Standards audio news team, here's Lisa Mannering. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The war in Syria has been ignited on new fronts because of Turkey's incursion into the northeast of the country. And in camps across the region, there are thousands of terrified girls and boys whose parents supported the Islamic State group. In one camp, the BBC discovered three children believed to be from London, whose parents joined IS five years ago and were subsequently killed in the fighting. The children are now stranded, in danger, and they want to come home. 
Among the orphans are three kids, 10-year-old Amira, Hamza and Heba, both around eight years old. Jacqueline McKenzie is an immigration lawyer. I mean, the situation regarding the three children who've been discovered as possibly orphans living in a refugee camp in north Syria is just devastating. It's extremely heartbreaking. The options available to the children really will depend on what evidence there is regarding any nationalities or citizenships that they may have. Amira can barely remember her life in London. She came to Syria when she was just five years old, from London to Aleppo and then Raqqa. Her Kurdish guardian says she's British, but in the trauma of the last five years, she can't remember much of her old life at all, except that she enjoyed going to the park, the funfair, and visiting her granny's house. Amira lost her mother, father, two sisters, and an older brother in the onslaught. She wants to go back to Britain, but that won't be easy. Here's Jacqueline McKenzie again. For instance, if they hold more than one citizenship, you could almost be certain that this government will try to, you know, pass the responsibility to another country. I mean, we hear the voice of a young girl who, from my work that I've done with the Bangladeshi community, looks to me as though she may be from that community, but we don't know for sure. But we understand that there are relatives um, in the UK, including possibly a grandmother. Now, it's my view that the British government can find all of that out. It's got their names and, you know, it's certainly got their ages. So it can do a search of birth, deaths and marriage records and find out who they are, who their parents are, most importantly, because that's where their citizenship will come from, who their family and relatives might be in the UK. And if it's found that these children are British and only British, then it becomes a matter of international law because under international law, as we found with previous cases like this, you can't make anyone stateless and so they will be entitled to be back in the UK. And in terms of whether their citizenship can be, you know, revoked or whether or they can be deprived of citizenship, more children that can't happen to children under the British Nationality Act of 1981. We have no idea what Amira has witnessed and what's become normal to her. Charities say other nations, including France and Australia, have repatriated women and children from detention camps, so the UK should too. Politicians across the political spectrum say that children shouldn't be held guilty for the crimes of their parents and we must bring them home. On humanitarian and legal grounds, Britain should facilitate the return of these British children. For now, they wait in the camp as the Turkish army gets closer. Here's the standards view. The horror of what's happening in Kurdish-held areas of Syria on the border with Turkey has many dimensions. It's a catastrophic mess, but it has one immediate effect which our government must face. What to do with British citizens who fought for Islamic State and their children? Many were held in squalid camps by the border, whose guards have fled. What will their fate be? Amid the chaos, the children are innocent victims. Our audio news is also available through your smart speaker. There's a bulletin at 7 every morning. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. Now. Is the pizza panic over? Last week, reports that Pizza Express was heading for the rock sent nostalgic diners rushing through the doors. Now the chain says most of its restaurants are profitable and it won't shut. Our business news editor Alex Lawson's here. Alex, are the deal balls safe? For now, it seems like they are. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating how much this has captured the imagination, this story across the country. And, and I think what's to be read into it is the collapse of chains like uh, BHS and, of course, we've seen Thomas Cook recently, the fact that I think consumers have cottoned on to the fact that some of these brands are falling and these kind of fond memories that they have 
chains that they've had through their youth are, um, you know, are at risk. What's happened here is that uh, last week we saw Pizza Express had hired financial advisors to advise on its debt mountain, which is estimated about 1.1 billion pounds. Um, this is under their Chinese owners who bought them back in 2014. That was followed by a slew of conjecture over what the problems were uh, and what the future might hold. Now the company says that 95% of its restaurants are profitable and that there's no sort of store closures planned anytime soon. But clearly we've seen lots of different pressures in the restaurant industry, namely higher wage bills, business rates rising. And of course, you thought one story that didn't have Brexit involved, but weak consumer confidence is uh, impacting restaurants across the country. When it was reported that Pizza Express was struggling, there was that huge wave of nostalgia. Save Pizza Mm. Express, the hashtag that kind of flashed across social media. But can you power a business through nostalgia alone? Well, it was an amazing wave, wasn't it? And um, it's interesting to see how that kind of spiraled from from social media into the business press, into the into the mainstream press, uh, and kind of did a reverse uh, of perhaps what would used to happen, kind of news wise. But uh, in terms of Pizza Express, uh, it is a likeable brand. It's a London business started on Wardour Street back in the mid-60s and grew as one of the first nationwide chains that you'd go into each restaurant and know exactly what those precious dough balls would be like and, and consumers like that. The value will always be there with the brand. You see, I, I suspect someone will buy the, the Thomas Cook brand, for example. Um, it's what you do with it and whether you need a nationwide chain of 500 restaurants to trade from or whether, for example, you might be better off uh, having a smaller network of restaurants that deliver to people's homes because the, the value in the brand is clearly there. Britain loves Pizza Express. There was even a love letter in Grazia, the fashion magazine. So you could see the, the outpouring there. Uh, but it's just how you use that brand now. What's your order at Pizza Express, Alex? Oh, uh, yes, I do like an American hot. My father-in-law is Italian and he likes a Pizza Express. So I think that's a stamp of approval. But here in London, <laughs> there's a lot of competition for pizza. So Franco Manca is also one that goes down well uh, in the Lawson family house. That's the leader taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column. It's our opinion, but we want yours. Get in touch and continue the conversation through social media. Use the hashtag TheLeaderPodcast. We're back at four tomorrow. Subscribe to make sure you get it early.